Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, joined once again after a few week break. My guy, Kyle Irving. Welcome back. What's up, Kyle? How you doing? I'm good, man. Ready to break down some summer league, talk about the prospects that we were talking about uh, going into the draft and coming out of the draft. Yeah, man. It, it, it's funny because like summer league sprung up on us like pretty quickly. Um, we had the games in California, the games in Salt Lake City. Um, and then Vegas was here. We were talking about Wimby. We were, we were watching all these guys and then it kind of dragged out. Like I know a lot of people who were out there, uh, you know, boots on the ground in Vegas say that after about five days, it all blends in together, but uh, 11 days of summer league action later, it is a wrap. And the next NBA basketball we'll be talking about is training camp and preseason. Uh, but before we get to that, obviously got to talk about Summer League a little bit. Cavaliers take home the championship. Isaiah Mobley named championship game MVP. They defeated the Rockets, who had Summer League MVP Cam Whitmore. Over at the Sporting News, Kyle, you talked about some of the winners and losers from Summer League. And Cam Whitmore was one of them. Kyle, I think we got to give you a pat on the back right now. You had him pretty high on your big board in the draft, and he's making teams look pretty silly for passing on him. If Summer League is any indication. So I guess getting into what you saw in Summer League and, and really who you were most impressed by and who maybe should have shown you a little bit more, uh, where do you even begin uh, with this past Summer League? Yeah, I mean, we'll start right at the top with the MVP, Cam Whitmore. Um, like you said, he was number four on my big board going into the draft. He fell to number 20 to the Rockets. And, you know, I tweeted out right away after that, that's a steal of the draft. The Rockets <laughs> could have selected him at four, and I don't think anybody would have bat an eye. And he ended up falling to their lap at number 20. Now, you know, I didn't have access to the medical records that right. teams had that, you know, supposedly caused that slide. Um, but, you know, I, I also read something over at The Athletic from John Hollinger that talked about, uh, you know, how quickly uh, things can kind of snowball on draft. Right. Right? And one team avoids a player because of injury history and teams start to wonder, OK, well, what do they know that we don't know? And all of a sudden a player ends up sliding, uh, you know, all the way down to out of the lottery. Uh, when really he's a top five, top 10 caliber talent. We already saw that at Summer League. Um, I was extremely impressed from what we saw from Cam Whitmore, uh, just his physicality and how explosive he is uh, when he's attacking the rim, how dangerous he can be in transition. Um, you know, he, he had that game with eight steals, tying a Summer League record. Um, he's just kind of all over the place. He's the type of player who, you know, this past season at Villanova, that wasn't a very good Villanova team. They had some injuries. Mm -hmm. They didn't have very good point guard play. Uh, he, he had a lot of attention on him and his he was already kind of raw as it was as a shot creator and someone trying to, you know, fill it up uh, from a scoring perspective. So that wasn't exactly the best situation for him. But we already saw at Summer League, you know, how easy he can get some buckets when he's playing off of other, you know, talented, and cal uh, you know, uh, shot creators and scores and playmakers and things like that, just because of how explosive he is as an athlete, as a cutter, how quick he can get out and transition and get easy buckets that way. Um, another player who impressed me though was Amoni Bates, mm -hmm. uh, who was on that Cavaliers championship team. Um, you know, I wrote about it in that winners and losers piece, but you know, to me, I watched that first summer league game of his and he attempted more three pointers than anybody <laughs> else on his team attempted regular jump shots or, or field goals. Um, so I, you know, that to me was kind of like, oh, okay, here we go. This is going to be the Amoni Bates show and he's not really going to pass the ball and we're not really going to get to see anything more than what we saw during his time in college and, and even in high school. Um, but he proved me wrong completely and he put together a pretty impressive summer league. Uh, he did exactly what the Cavaliers need and that's someone that can shoot from the wing. Uh, they did not have a lot of shooting, uh, wing depth last season to right. help open the floor for guys like Evan Mobley, guys like Jared Allen, uh, you know, whether he remains in Cleveland or not, uh, things were a lot, 
you know, got clogged at times down there with Donovan Mit- or for Donovan Mitchell uh, because they had a lack of spacing on the perimeter. So obviously they addressed some of those needs in free agency with guys like Max Struess, but Amoni Bates proving that you know, maybe that's a role that he could fill at some point down the line. Those are players that, you know, I highlighted from the past week. Um, but there were also other guys that really impressed me over the first weekend. Guys like Keontae George from uh, the Utah Jazz. He was absolutely incredible in summer league. Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. was, you know, the annual way too good to be playing in right. summer league. If that was actually an award, it's probably one they probably should give out at this point because it happens every year. But, you know, he was absolutely incredible. And, you know, I know you and Scott talked about uh, I'm going to call him Scott's guy at this point, Jairus Walker, uh, <laughs> who had a really impressive showing over uh, his couple games, just showing all the different types of versatile tools that he has to fit in that Indiana front court. So uh, a lot of promising players on display, and uh, I was pretty pleased overall with what I saw from a lot of the prospects that I was covering. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jabari Smith along with Bates. They were on the second team uh, all summer league along with Max Christie. Javon Freeman, Liberty, Xavier Moon, and Jalen Wilson. And that first team, all summer league, another name that you mentioned in your winners and losers, Orlando Robinson, Hunter Tyson, who a lot of ACC basketball fans might be familiar with. Nuggets got another one uh, out of Clemson. Obviously, Cam Whitmore, the MVP. Sam Merrill, another guy Cleveland picked up uh, who could be impactful for them next year. And Keontae George, like you said, also got a first team selection. Uh, I think one thing I, I'm curious, um, and you know, we watch summer league every summer, and they're guys who stand out um, every summer. And sometimes it translates, and sometimes it doesn't. So I, I know we joke around a lot about how important it is to not overreact to things that go well and things that not might not necessarily go well. But when you talk about some of these guys, specifically uh, Bates and, and and Cam Whitmore and the Cavaliers and, and the Rockets are two very different teams with two very different circumstances. But I guess starting with the Rockets, because the Rockets really had a transformative offseason. Um, when you think about these young guys, I didn't even mentioned the men Thompson who went down in that first game. What do you expect from from the Rockets? Like, how do you think this stuff is going to translate with those guys? I think Ime Udoka does have a good problem with a lot of young, talented guys who are going to want to try and take time from Fred Van Vliet and, and Dylan Brooks. So they've added some veterans to that locker room. So what do you make of the Rockets' circumstance and situation with the young guys that are already there as well? Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, kind of decision that Ime Udoka has to make. And he already had a quote. I think it was at his, uh, it was either during his opening press conference or it might have even been when they interviewed him at Summer League and I was listening mm-hmm. to it. But, you know, he kind of talked about how a lot of players that were on this team last year are going to have to adapt to mm-hmm. new roles. Um, you know, Jalen Green was just a pure scorer last year and that's really all he did. Um, I think you're going to start to see him have to dig in on the defensive end to, you know, play the amount of minutes that he's had in the past. Um, and, you know, kind of like keep that number one option, like go-to guy type mentality. Um, you know, someone like Kevin Porter Jr. who loves to have the ball in his hands. Right. And he's an extremely talented playmaker, even though, you know, he he has poor shot selection at some times and he turns the ball over like crazy. Um, you know, he's going to have to earn minutes as well because like you said, a men Thompson and, you know, obviously Fred Van Vliet coming in, they didn't bring him in to come off the bench, obviously. Right. So yeah. he's going to be the starting point guard now. And, and wh- where does Kevin Porter Jr. fit in there? Um, I think someone like Cam Whitmore actually – you know, kind of had a role carved out for him with Kenyon Martin Jr. being shipped out. Obviously, yeah, they really like Tari Eason there, and he had an awesome yeah. summer league as well before yeah. they shut him down. But, um, you know, I think that he, there are some real minutes available for him there. Uh, and I think that they could use that type of versatile, uh, explosive athleticism, you know, kind of a switchy defender who can fill multiple roles. And I think they're going to want to play a little bit faster this year than they did last year, um, just with like the types of 
uh, players that they brought in. So it is going to be a little bit of a balancing act from Ime Udoka to try and figure out, okay, you know, what rotations work, which players are playing well together. What do we want to do with the guys that played big minutes last year? Alperen Shingun is someone who I'm very curious to see how mm. he, he uses him because, you know, he's, he's got quick hands. He's an intelligent, intelligent defender, but he doesn't exactly fit that same scheme that, uh, Ime Udoka had the Celtics running. So I'm curious to see if he goes with a similar defensive strategy. Uh, how does he utilize a playmaker like Shingun, who, uh, you know, is kind of of that same ilk of like a DeMontis Sabonis and Nikola Jokic right. in terms yeah. of like, you know, an offensive hub, uh, at the elbow and, uh, you know, at the free throw line there and stuff. So a lot of decisions to be made in Houston. Uh, I mean, it's a nice problem to have with all this young talent and trying to figure out who plays where, but at the same time, you're going to have some disgruntled guys who aren't playing as much as they should be. So, you know, that's a tough challenge for Ime Udoka in year one. Yeah. Perfect example of, of really just getting the best players available and the most talent that they have there and then figuring it out. Like you, you can never have too many good players because eventually you can consolidate talent or, or figure it out later. And I couldn't help but chuckle when you, when you mentioned, uh, Sabonis and Nicole Jokic. I thought about that, uh, that Pokemon meme that we've perfect. talked about. Uh, it per- it's the perfect meme. You it's know, it's different. And, and it's a copycat league. And we just saw a team win a championship <laughs> through a player like that. It's not to say that he is that player, but again, it, it's a proven, uh, formula for success in the league now, now that it's worked. I, I, one quick question before we shift gears. Do you think that fans of the Raptors, I mean, excuse me, the Rockets should be most encouraged by what they saw in summer league? Or is there another fan base that should be most encouraged uh, moving forward for the future and the present, I guess? Um, you know, there were some other teams that really impressed me during summer league. I thought the Indiana Pacers, uh, they were a team that I actually picked in the, uh, you know, before summer league to win the entire thing. And right. it's tough to make those predictions because you have to also try and take into account who's going to get shut down, who's still going to be right. playing by game five, game six or whatever it is. Um, but you know, I just thought from the guys they needed to take a step forward, guys like Andrew Nemhard, uh, Benedict Matherin still did mm. what he always does. Jairus Walker was, uh, extremely promising. Isaiah Jackson, someone that, you know, can, potentially feel some bench minutes. Uh, I thought those guys were all really impressive. So to me, it's more so about like, what are the guys that could potentially actually contribute to our rotation? How did they look and did they step into their role? You mentioned the Denver Nuggets. I thought that's another team that they should be feeling pretty good about the 2023 NBA draft class that they had. You know, Hunter Tyson, I think he shot like almost 50% from three. I don't have the number in front of me. He did actually. I do have the number in front of me. He shot 50% from three during summer league. Uh, Jalen Pickett is the type of guard. He's been learning from Andre Miller. They have him over in there. I think coaching staff over there. Maybe it's player development, but I know I, I read an article about how he's really taken up with Andre Miller, a guard who his game kind of emulates a lot. It's just kind of like a, uh, you know, He's not above the rim. He's not going to be this flashy point guard, but he digs in. He plays defense. He makes the right reads. Uh, smart basketball player. So I was encouraged with what I saw from him and Julian Strother, uh, another one who, you know, I, I was pretty high on him going into the draft. He had a tough, I think, like first one or two games in summer league, but really started to shoot it pretty well and defend at a high level uh, down the stretch. So those are three solid potential contributors that the Nuggets brought in after they obviously had to let some key guys go like Bruce Brown right. and Jeff Green, uh, Thomas Bryant, some, you know, some guys that filled out that bench. So I think that's another team that should be uh, pretty encouraged from what they saw. Um, you know, the Cavs, obviously they won summer league. So, you know, they had some contributors. You mentioned Sam Merrill. I mentioned a Bates guys that could you know help them fill a need for some perimeter shooting I'm not sure either of those guys really cracked the rotation in year one mm-hmm. but you know in special situations maybe they could get some playing time right. um, so you know there's there's always something to take away from each and every team and, and how players uh, adjust to bigger roles in summer league and, and kind of seeing how that can project forward to can they actually earn a spot uh, in the rotation in the regular season 
Hundred percent. I think that that speaks a lot about the the player development in Denver. I know coming into summer league, Peyton Watson is a guy who you were high on last year, um, and they talked about just how well he he stood out in, in Nuggets practices. So you know, if they are able to defend their their championship despite losing some veterans, um, we'll see that they they built through the draft, and and that's a, a, a easy formula for success for teams who have a lot of max players uh, on their contract. I jumped the gun a little bit and said the Raptors because we have to talk about the Raptors. Obviously, I, I did some Raptors takeaways from summer league over at the sporting news it wasn't the uh most encouraging result i guess you could say they finished one and four out there but there were some things that it wasn't all bad and i guess i asked about other fans uh being encouraged do you think that raptors fans should be discouraged from uh, what they saw grady dick uh took some time to, to get you know comfortable out there but ended up leading the team with 16 points per game marquise noel who uh, we expected to be exciting was exciting led the way with 6.8 assists per game and had 12 dimes uh in their last summer league game which was their lone win and came over the warriors who i don't think won a game their entire time in vegas but uh, what do you make of the Raptors' time out in Las Vegas, their one and four record, and, and the play of the rookies who we'll see next season? Yeah, obviously. I mean, the the one and four record. It, I mean, wins and losses almost don't matter in yeah. summer league. Like, I, it feels yeah. funny to say that because, like, obviously a team is crowned champion, and like, you know, uh, winning is probably more indicative of like how well your team actually played. Obviously, right. safe take right. there. But <laughs> you know, like when you're looking at a team like the Raptors, I don't think they really care about what their summer league record is as much yeah. as they wanted to see Grady Dick show out, as much as I want to see guys like Marquise Noel take a step forward. And I want to start with Grady Dick because. Um, you know, I watched his first two games really closely and then I kind of had yeah. to backtrack to, uh, you know, follow up on his last two games to see how he played. But I was very impressed with what I saw from him. Uh, like you said, once he started to get comfortable, mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, those first two games, they were kind of a process of that's not really the role he's going to be playing with the Raptors. Right. Like on this team, he's going, at least at the very start, he's just going to be a spot up shooter. Um, he can defend at a high level. Uh, you know, once he builds up his body and, and gets a little bit more grown man strength on him. Um, but he's always finding himself in the right spots. And I think that's how you see, saw him come up with like as many steals and things like that as he did. Uh, I was impressed with his activity on the glass. He was pretty active at Kansas, but he also didn't really have to be as active as he even was uh, during, during summer league. And I, I was encouraged with what I saw from that. And then, you know, this is kind of the PSA to all Raptors fans. I mean, you're going to see that he shot under 30% from three. Uh, do not worry about that at all. He's the right. best shooter in this draft class. He's yeah. an absolute sniper. He can shoot off movement. He can shoot from range. He can shoot off the dribble a little bit. He's good at attacking closeouts, things like that. Um, and once he, you know, kind of forms into his actual role that he'll play at the NBA level, which is more of coming off of screens, running sets for him to get him open looks, uh, or just, you know, sitting on the perimeter and getting ready to catch and shoot when guys like Scotty and pass, potentially Pascal, um, you know, drive the rate, uh, or drive the lane. Um, he's going to just sit there and knock down catch and shoot jumpers all day long. Uh, I don't think there's anything to worry about there. So all in all, I thought it was a pretty impressive showing, uh, from Grady Dick, all things considered, since he's not really, since he wasn't really in the role that he would be playing for the Raptors. Um, and the last guy I want to talk about is Marquise Noel, just because, like you said, he really is just so electrifying. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some head scratching passes and stuff like that. And we saw that at the college level as well. But right. I also think that's part of what makes him as incredible of a playmaker as he is. And that's why he was the, you know, the NCAA assist leader. That's why he has uh, the all time record for assists in an NCAA tournament game and things like that. Um, he's electrifying. There's no pass that he can't make. I think that he's someone who he's on this two-way contract, but they're really going to get a lot out of him on this two-way deal uh, just because I do think that there is a role for him to come off the bench in whatever the amount of it's what 50 games or 
I think it's 50 games, right? Yeah. So, you know, there is going to be a lot of, I I would think minutes available for him to come off the bench as a playmaker and kind of like third uh, string or maybe even second string floor general for those 50 games. And, you know, I mean, if that goes well and his height isn't, you know, too targeted and he's not kind of singled out on the defensive end um, and he can kind of make plays and find a way to elevate players around him like he has at every level so far. Um, I don't see why, you know, he couldn't be someone that could eventually earn a standard contract with the Raptors, but you know, obviously at five, seven, five, six, however tall he is, um, it, it's going to be tough to carve out a, an everyday role right away. But, you know, I think just through his playmaking, something that the Raptors need so desperately, uh, he showed in summer league that he should be able to compete for some minutes this year. Yeah, that's, that's actually was gonna, what I was going to ask. And it, it kind of feels lazy, but I mean, it's obvious. You can't ignore the fact that he is more often than not, uh, actually always, he's always the, the, the smallest guy on the floor. He would be the smallest guy. Nobody, I think under 5'10", uh, took the floor, uh, last year in the NBA. But I saw that Josh Lewenberg from, from, um, TSN reported that the Raptors haven't been this excited about a, a, an undrafted prospect since Fred Van Vliet, um, you know, and, and obviously it, it, Fred Van Vliet was undersized, but this is a different kind of undersized. But I started thinking about it a little bit. And, you know, this is the same franchise that drafted Damon Sotomayor with their first ever draft pick. Mugsy Bogues suited up for the Raptors before and even thinking about TJ Ford um, and, and then obviously Kyle Lowry and, and, and Fred Van Vliet, which, again, all different sizes. But the undersized guard that 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 is certainly uh, had a history with the Raptors organization. So if anybody can do it, I think it's him. I think obviously it's going to have their things that just, you know, size is going to limit him, you know, whether it's finishing, you know, in the lane around the trees, whether it's, you know, guarding guys that have few inches on him because there are big guards in the league. There are teams who run jumbo lineups and you can't um, use him against that. But the, the Raptors do just have uh, that, that big need for, for secondary playmaking off the bench and a guy who's, you know, willing to just, do whatever it takes. He did things other than his passing too. I saw him stop like a two and two and one fast break by himself, just with energy and the heart that he plays with, which comes from the chip that he, that he plays with from being an undersized guard. So excited about that, but just very curious to, to you know how what his ceiling looks like, just given his limitations. Yeah, I think that you know in this particular situation, it actually kind of works out playing for the Raptors that have so many long, versatile uh, yeah. defenders just because it's a, it's going to be a little bit easier to hide him. Like you're not going to be able to completely hide him. Teams are still going to target him. But I do think that like because you know guys are so good on the defensive end of guys like OG or again, potentially Pascal, Precious Achua, yeah. Jakob Pertl, like they have the protection behind him um, to try and you know kind of mask him a little bit. Um, I think that his biggest struggle is actually more so than even being targeted on the defensive end. Like you said, is how is he going to score? Like, I mean, if it's not just kind of catch and shoot threes or those deep threes that he likes to take off the dribble, like he, we saw in summer league, um, you know, he shot under 40% from the field. Uh, He struggles to finish around the rim, struggles to finish, uh, finish amongst the trees. Um, Maybe it's refining that floater. Maybe it's, I don't know. He's going to have to find a way to score the ball, but they're going to need him more as a passer than anything else. And, you know, I don't care what level of basketball you're playing. I don't care how big or tall you are. Uh, he's one of the best passers that I've seen recently. Like, I, I mean, the, the way that this guy sees the court and the way that he finds passing lanes that nobody else can find, um, you know, he's extremely talented in that aspect. And I think that, you know, if, if he was like a six, three guard, I uh, would be talking about him. Like he could be one of the best passers in the NBA. Right. So, right. um, they're going to have to, they're going to have to find a way to carve out a little bit of a role for him here on this two way deal and, and really get to see, okay, well, what can he actually bring to the Raptors in year one? Uh, the answer might not be that much right away, but I'm curious to see, uh, if they do think that he could fill some of those backup point guard minutes because we know the Raptors, uh, sh- you know, they need it. 
Yeah, I think that's the big thing with any rookie, um, a translatable skill. He's an NBA-level passer already. He was an NBA-level passer while at K-State. So now it's marrying that with being an NBA-level decision maker, and then we can see him make an NBA-level impact. Alongside who? Uh, we don't necessarily know yet, Kyle. I know you foreshadowed it a little bit, and we will take a quick break and delve a little more into what that potentially means and what this Raptors roster might look like next season, as well as that of some other rosters next season. So after a quick break, uh, we'll dive into the room a little bit. Kyle, I'm going to tell you a date, and I want you to remember the date before I pose a question to you. October 24th, 2023. I'm going to tell you three names. James Harden, Damian Lillard, Pascal Siakam. I think you already know where I'm going with this. That is opening night of the 2023-24 NBA season. These are all guys who are mentioned in trade rumors, this, that, and the third. Um, Damian Lillard has requested a trade. James Harden has requested a trade. And Daryl Morey, as of today, actually, confirmed that that trade has been requested. So I ask you now how many of them if any of them will still be in the same uniform that they wore to close last season on October 24th. Well, first off, that's the first time that I've heard the date for uh, 2023, 24 opening or opening night there. And that's a week later than usual. So we got yeah. an extra, we got an extra week of the off season. That's kind of nice. Um, <laughs> more, more rumors. I, a week extra to talk about rumors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to go with, you know what? Before the James Harden thing today, before Daryl Morey today, I probably would have told you that two of those players end up on the same team that they still are on right now. And that would have been James Harden in Philly and Pascal Siakam in Toronto with Dame being the only one that moves. But now I'm probably going to say that Pascal is the only one that stays put. Um, you know, as much as these Raptors, the Raptors rumor mill and, and everything around Pascal and OG and how heightened it can get at times. Um, I, I really just don't see them parting ways with Pascal Siakam before the, t- the start of the season. I would really be surprised if they do. Uh, they would have to get an awesome offer in order to make that happen. And I'm not sure anybody is willing to offer uh, as much as the Raptors would be looking for, for a player like Pascal. So I feel like he probably stays in Toronto. The Dame situation is very interesting to me because, you know, obviously, and I'm sure interesting to everybody because obviously Miami is the only team that's willing to make a phone call because that's the only place that he's willing to play, to play. but they, it doesn't sound like Miami has enough to get what Portland wants out of a Damian Lillard trade. So they're really at a true stalemate here. Um, you know, they got to get another team involved or maybe two other teams involved, like whatever it takes. Um, but at the same time, you know, if he is, if we're a couple weeks out from training camp and he's still in Portland, like, is Dame really going to sit out? I don't, I don't know. Like, he just strikes me as a guy that loves the game so much. And I know he's, you know, he's kind of making a point here, but I, I just, it, it's an interesting situation that he could potentially be going into training camp still on the Trailblazers because they can't find a deal with Miami and then what? Um, and then you got the James Harden situation. Uh, if he's formally requested a trade, um, you know, it, they say that the re- relationship between, him and Daryl Morey might be severed. Uh, and, and, you know, that'd be news to me, but, um, maybe he actually does find a trade out. It, again, it's a situation where it sounds like he wants to go to the Clippers. The Clippers don't necessarily want to dump all of their assets for James Harden. So I don't know if Philly's going to get enough in return for what they want to stay competitive, uh, during, you know, Joel Embiid's prime window. So I think we have two very, very, very difficult superstar trade rumors going on right now. And there's a reason that we haven't seen anything happen yet. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it, it really does have the feel of, of things that are just going to drag out. Uh, before Dame 
requested the trade, there was a lot of questions around whether or not he would do it. And, and I uh, remember at one point saying that like it, it feels like one of those things is going to drag out into the regular season and then we'll, they, they'll eventually kind of find a, a resolution for that and whether their resolution is Portland walking back their asking prices just kind of get past it if that's a third team eventually getting involved because they find out a way that it could be beneficial for them but they're just like you said you know ironically there are a lot of moving pieces because he only wants to go one place um and, and looking at the other teams that maybe um you know are hesitant to even put their their their, their names in, in it because um they don't think that they'd get you know uh the time of day you know or, or be considered by Dame as far as that goes. So I guess saying that the, the the follow-up question I was going to ask you was between Dame and James Harden, do you think that one of them is a little bit closer to being moved than the other? Do you think it's kind of one of those similar stalemates for very different reasons, um, but but could both kind of drag out as, as we kind of go through uh, August, into August and, and September when training camp starts to roll around, which there's a lot of time. Again, there's a lot of time for this to kind of unfold, but um, it doesn't really feel like either one of those is close to happening. It's just going to happen eventually. Yeah, I don't know if there's either – I don't know if either star is closer to being traded at this point, especially if they're both going to be stubborn about like one specific destination. Yeah. Like I, if, if Damian Lillard didn't come out and say that about, you know, wanting to specifically go to, or didn't not come out to the media, but you know, say it to Portland about uh, specifically wanting to be traded to Miami, then like we probably could have already seen a Dame deal at this point, because I'm sure there are a lot of teams that would have paid up, you know, right. assets and draft picks and young players right. thrown everything at Portland just to make that deal happen. Um, you know, teams that are right on the fringe of being contenders. Uh, Minnesota is a team that comes to mind. Like, mm-hmm. you know, could they have put together some sort of package around like cat potentially and then paired Damian Lillard with Anthony Edwards? And, you know, they're kind of stuck with that Rudy Gobert contract. Like, I don't know. I, there are just other teams that I think that would have thrown the kitchen sink at Portland. And I'm sure they, you know, there was a report. I, f- I think it might have been Mark Stein that reported it last week um, about how like Portland's like, kind of encouraging other teams like, Hey, reach out, like, Hey, make an offer because yes, he wants to go to Miami, but this is still a business and we have to, you know, get it done however we can. Uh, And then, you know, with the James Harden thing, I think it's a little bit more of a difficult situation just because his play has been so up and down. Um, Obviously we saw at moments in the playoffs that he's the type of guy that can still take over and win you playoff games, but he can also just completely no show. And, you know, then you're stuck with the shell of James Harden that we've seen at times over the past couple of years. So, uh, you know, assessing his value is probably a little bit more difficult than Dame, who's coming off one of the best seasons of his career. Um, So, you know, I think that, you know, like you said, we have a lot of time between now and the start of the season. And I think it's going to take pretty much all the way up until training camp starts to get either of these two potential deals figured out. It's funny we're having this conversation because last year we were having the conversation about what was going to happen with Kevin Durant requesting a trade and and where is he going to go? And a lot of teams, again, were hesitant to, and he didn't have, he had, he had a list of teams that he was willing to go to. And, um, at that time, you know, no team really met the demands that the, the Nets had. And then he decided to just say, you know what? I love playing basketball too much. I want to go back and hoop. And then it happened again. And eventually the Suns are the ones that, that got that deal done. I think that being said, it feels very different. Obviously just KD being who he is and where he is or where he was at that time. Um, as far as stars in the league, I think Dame is closer to that, that space. Um, that then then James Harden is specifically talking about those ups and downs, but strangely, I, I feel like James Harden is is if anybody wouldn't, I don't necessarily think that that this happens. But if one of the two were to say, you know what, never mind, I might as well just go and do something. I think James Harden 
not in the sense of like, man, I just, I just want to hoop, but more so in the sense like, man, the grass ain't greener. There's not really anything out there for me. The interest isn't like that. I might as well just try and run it back here uh, with Joel and beat and figure that out. Um, and I do think that again, it's worth mentioning the, the, the Pascal Siakam situation just because, you know, the Hawks appear to really want him really badly. Um, the Pacers have kind of entered the conversation as have, um, the magic. But again, he has a leverage in that he's going to be a free agent next year. He's extension eligible, but has made it clear that he really doesn't want to resign anywhere but Toronto. And he really doesn't want to sign an extension with anybody but Toronto. I will say one thing to be mindful of for those out there. If Pascal Siakam signs an extension with the Raptors, doesn't necessarily mean he can't be moved. It just means it's six months until he can be moved. So as long as he does that uh, before a certain point in August, there would still be six months between then and it would still be pre-trade that trade deadline uh, where he could be moved. That being said, you and I both said it. Uh, the rumor mill is going to be crazy. Who knows? There could be somebody else that steps up, requests a trade. Um, but we got an extra week of offseason, so this is going uh, – to drag out throughout the off season. That being said, now some leagues behind us, things are kind of starting to, to, to slow down a little bit, but obviously got to give a big shout out to the W. They had all-star weekend over the weekend, record viewership for the WNBA all-star game. They slid it into prime time. All-star weekend was a big success as well. Sabrina Inescu on fire in the three-point contest. I think it was a record in the WNBA or NBA three-point contest, 37 that's ridiculous. I saw Steph said he's going to have to go out there and try to uh, match that, beat that. And I think if Steph puts puts his mind to it, he, he, we just saw him get hole in one and uh, <laughs> and golf. He is unreal. So um, that that record might not stand too long. But for right now, Sabrina Inescu uh, is the record holder. So second half of the WNBA season uh, is ahead. We'll see who can try to dethrone the defending champion aces. But otherwise, man. There's a lot this offseason as, as the NBA side of things dies down. What you got your eye on? We got Slam Ball. We got TBT. Uh, you know, there's a couple of basketball documentaries on. What, what, what are you doing to uh, satisfy that basketball fix? Well, the first thing that I'm really excited for is the FIBA World Cup. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm really intrigued by the roster that the United States has put together. Uh, it looks like teams like Canada are going to shell out their best talent. Australia has a really talented roster. Um, you know, some of the stars aren't going to be playing. It doesn't look like guys like Giannis are going to be playing. We're not really going to see Victor Wemben. I shouldn't say not really. We are not going to see <laughs> Victor Wembenyama. Um, you know, so some of the bigger names are going to be missing, but Sabonis, you know, another one. Sabonis, another one. Yep. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it feels like when the United States puts together a roster like this of like younger up and coming guys. And I think you and I talked about it on here as well um, earlier when they started to reveal some of the names, mm-hmm. uh, I get really intrigued because, you know, this is a good opportunity to see what guys have been working on in the off season, see how right. they mesh with different players. Um, I think they have a really, really talented roster of guys who, I mean, I think they did a good job of assembling, assembling a basketball team, not just like the 12 best players, not just sure, like, right. okay, here are the, you know, the 12 most talented guys that we could, get to sign up for this summer, like actually guys that fill a role and they'll each have their own kind of individual role on the team and seeing how they excel in those roles, uh, playing alongside other super talented players. Um, so I'm excited for the FIBA World Cup. But, you know, you mentioned TBT is always good for a, a college basketball junkie like me because you'll turn a game on and you'll be like, oh, no way, this guy's still hooping. I mean, you never know who you're going to see. I use Aaron Kraft right. as an example all the time. He was one of my favorite college players of all time, and he's usually a guy who's suiting up uh, at the TBT. Um 
you know, slam ball is really interesting. I used to love slam ball when I was growing up. Me and my brother tried to like recreate slam ball by moving the couches like underneath our mini basketball hoop and like dunking on each other like that. My parents were definitely not too happy about that, but that was something fun that we used to do when we were kids. So the fact that's coming back, even though there's not really any like, you know, marquee names of like right. former NBA players or anything like that, like I-, I encourage people just to give it a chance because if I'm going to enjoy it as much as I did when I was younger, uh, then that means it's going to be a really enticing and pro, uh, you know, kind of thing to watch. So those are the three things that I definitely have my eye on for sure. Tap into the nostalgia, man. Tap into the nostalgia with with slam ball. I think that it brings you back to how that used to be. Uh, you know, trying to do the trampoline thing, and again, thankfully avoiding serious injury and doing yep. those things, uh, but definitely risking it as 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 uh, we could only do in, in our in our younger years. I, I mentioned some documentaries. I actually got a chance uh, to, to check out the Stephen Curry underrated. Uh, documentary, which is going to be on Apple TV. It's a, it's a good look back at, uh, you know, his Davidson years, really, uh, focusing on that, but, but learning a lot more just through the lens of, of what that was. It's pretty cool to see some, um, I guess not really never seen before footage from that run. We all know that, you know, he led that Davidson team. Um, you know, to the Elite Eight, uh, where they fell to the eventual champion, Kansas Jayhawks, and I had a chance to win the game at the end, but learned a lot more about that season. I didn't realize just, and, and do yourself a favor and go back and, and look at their non-conference schedule. Um, and I'm sure you probably did looking at that his sophomore season. They played some teams. They played Carolina. They played UCLA. They had Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook on that team. They played Duke. They played NC State. So the more you kind of learn about it, it's not really a coincidence or a mistake that they were able to compete with, with those high level teams that they beat um, Gonzaga, Georgetown, Wisconsin, who they just smoked. Um, so, so you learn a lot about that and then also kind of how it connects uh, to where he is in his career now going into year 15, which is really crazy to think about that. I know you also wrote about uh, there's a Goliath Wilt Chamberlain uh, documentary over on Showtime stars. Showtime. Uh, yeah, it's on Showtime. Showtime, showtime, and it's and it's narrated by uh, AI Will Chamberlain. I don't know how I feel about that, but um, it's there. I haven't heard it yet, haven't seen it yet, but it's out there. Three part, three part documentary as well. Yeah, I mean uh, that's one that I think a lot of people are gonna. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I just yeah. you know kind of wrote about how you can watch it and everything like that. But that's gonna be one that you know I'm I'm interested to tap into just because I think we're gonna learn a lot about Will Chamberlain off the court and just like kind of. You know, everything that he was doing outside of basketball on top of breaking records on top of records uh, on the basketball court. So that'll be an interesting one. I'm excited to take a look at that Stephen Curry documentary that you brought up as well, um, because, you know, that that run at Davidson was insane. But I think people kind of forget that he was like a second team All-American uh, yeah. the year going into that NCAA tournament. Like this wasn't just like something that he did out of random. Like his, he led the entire country in scoring. He led the entire country in three point percentage, three pointers made like he was always doing this. It was just that, you know, that NCAA tournament was the first time that he really did it on a massive stage. And everyone was like, oh, look at this baby face assassin just killing <laughs> All of these top ranked teams. I mean, he knocked out, I think it was like the three seed, the two seed, and then lost, eventually lost to the one seed. But yep. I mean, he was running through that bracket. So, um, you know, it's always cool to, like you said, nostalgia, man. That was one of the first yeah. big March Madness, like kind of Cinderella moments that I remember vividly, like watching in my living room, like, you know, kind of fell in love with this kid that was just killing all these high major teams. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to make sure that I'm watching him every single time he steps on the court and, you know, wanted to just be like him. I remember I wrote like, I can do all things on my shoes, like on one mm-hmm. of my pair of like travel basketball shoes that I had just because yeah. that's what Steph was doing. So it'll be cool to kind of like relive that a little bit. 
Yeah, Steph brought the magic back to Davidson. One more thing. And again, it's not a spoiler because this is all history. It all happened before. But like to that point, you talked about that team and him being an All-American. Um, I do remember they had, they, they, they were four and six after that gauntlet of a non-conference schedule that they had. And they just ran the table in, in the SOCON and finished the SOCON tournament ranked 25th in the nation. So again, they were a 10 seed in the tournament, but they were the 25th ranked team in the nation. So again, it wasn't like, you know, they were, you know, this team of just, just bums. They were a team of, of led by an all time great, um, with some guys who played fundamental basketball led by a, a really good head coach, uh, and Bob McKillop. I actually went, uh, to Davidson basketball camp around that same time. Um, and, and the, the magic there was, was pretty crazy kind of being, you know, in that, that Charlotte area. One more note. I know you mentioned the FIBA World Cup and that is right around the corner. It gets started on August 25th. You and I have speculated a lot about Canada's team. And I know you, uh, highlighted it or foreshadowed it a little bit or hinted at it. Um, 14-man roster. They haven't cut it down to 12 yet, but Kyle Alexander, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, R.J. Barrett, Trey Bell-Haynes, O'Shea Brissett, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, Zach Eady, Melvin Edgem, shout out to Brewster Academy, Shea Gildas, Alexander, Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray, Kelly Olenek, Kevin Pangos, Dwight Powell, Cassius Robertson, Phil Scrub, and Thomas Scrub. Before we go, what stands out most to you? I know there's some there's a name or two that's missing, but of the names that are there, uh, it's got to be that backcourt, potential backcourt, right? Yeah, I mean, if Canada could get that backcourt together, um, and you know, who knows if they actually will? I still would be kind of shocked if both Jamal Murray and SGA end up suiting up, but like that would just be incredible to watch because how long is Can- I mean, you and I have been writing for NBA Canada for five years now. And neither of us are Canadian, but we followed these guys very, very closely. And, you know, it's always been that potential of, well, what if these two guys could actually get into the backcourt together? And, uh, I mean, that would just be a scary sight for, you know, the rest of the FIBA World Cup. I'd be extremely, um, you know, I, I would go out of my way to watch those games just to make sure to see a Shea Gilgis Alexander and Jamal Murray backcourt. But another name that stuck out to me, though, is Zach Eady. And we talked mm-hmm. about, t- talked about him a little bit in our, uh, sporting news meeting today, but just, you know, what type of role can he play? Because obviously, you know, he, if it was the NBA and had the NBA spacing and everything like that, maybe he'd get played off the floors and pick and rolls and things like that with teams trying to stretch. If it was, the floor, if it was fairly but- Dickinson, he might get played off the floor. Yeah, yeah, that too. Not even in the NBA. That's a fair point too. But, uh, you know, I mean, just the fact that, you know, he can kind of just park himself in the paint and protect the yeah. rim and, and rebound and, um, you know, just get easy lobs and things like that. Like, I'm curious to see if he can actually carve out a role, uh, on this Canada national team. And it would be great. It would be an awesome experience for him going into, uh, you know, he's going back to college this year, decided he test, tested the NBA draft waters, but decided to go back. And, um, you know, he has a lot to work on if he's going to get himself to the NBA. And the first step is putting himself up against uh, NBA caliber talent at the FIBA World Cup. Yeah, no, I, I joke, but but seriously, though, like, you know, we see it a lot. Guys play for their national team and, and get a, a, a different level or, or a, a newfound confidence. And then we're talking about a guy who was the national player of the year last year at Purdue. So that's saying something, regardless of if he lost to a 16 seed or not, he could do something if he has an opportunity to play for this team and, and play alongside some NBA players and really showcase for himself what he would look like playing alongside that caliber of, of talent. Because as much as that, that loss was disappointing, Disappointing. It was the guys around him. They you know, had just as much of a hand, if not a bigger hand, uh, in, in their disappointment in the NCAA tournament. So I think it'd be a good opportunity to see. So we'll see if he makes that team. By the way, it was 18-man roster, not 14-man roster. He'll cut down six guys. Uh, we'll be led by Jordy Fernandez, associate head coach of the Sacramento Kings. So we'll have more on that as the FIBA World Cup rolls around. It'll be here before we know it, end of August, and we'll see if Spain defends its title, if the Team USA team of young guys, and as you said, uh, a very cohesive 
basketball roster uh, is put together. And we'll have all that here for you on NBA Sound System. It's the offseason, but still in the NBA, the offseason means there's a lot to talk about. Remind you to subscribe to NBA Sound System wherever you get your podcast. We'll have them out weekly for you uh, and, you know, continue to get you geared up for the upcoming NBA season um, and everything else has to do with it. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you here next time. Thank you.